0: 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14 says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Act like men, Paul says to the men in Corinth. In the original Greek, Paul writes andrisome, which translates be a man or act like a man or be manly. Which means, according to God, the word man means something. Contrary to conventional views, the word man is not meaningless. It is more than a reference to anatomy. It is not a Label that is rashly attached to certain individuals by unprogressive thinkers. When God says, act like men, he has something in mind, something that is necessary, something that would be otherwise marginalized, something that may otherwise be missing. And so his admonishment is to men to act like men. So today, do Christian men know what God means when he calls them to act like men? And today, when Christians hear God calling them to act like men. Do they not only understand what God means, but are they then acting like men? By and large, the answer to both those questions is no. would be my experience. It is clear to me that most men today do not understand this. And most men today do not do this. This lack of godly men is pandemic. It's everywhere. So many weak men So many passive men, so many fatherless children, so many husbandless wives, so many leaderless churches, so many ungodly men. It's everywhere. I'm persuaded that not one of you would have to look beyond your family to see this problem. There's plenty of machismo or macho-ness, but that is not manliness. That's not what Paul is talking about. Paul does not have cultural stereotypes in mind. When he says act like men, he is not calling men to drive trucks, eat more bacon, shoot guns, and watch football. All good things, by the way. But that's not what Paul means. That's not what God means when he says to act like men. What Paul has in mind is what God has in mind, and it is biblical manhood or biblical masculinity. Men, there is such a thing as biblical manhood. And we need to, each of us need to first understand it so that we can follow Paul's counsel and then act like men. So, act like men is the title of this new four-part sermon series, during which we will search God's Word to discover what is a godly man, what is a godly husband, what is a godly father, with our subject this morning being a godly man. But before I preach this sermon, we should pray. Will you please bow your heads with me? Our Father in heaven, we have desires for all of us today that we would be helped by your word, that we would be changed by the preaching of your word, and we have a specific prayer for all of the men and young men who are in this room today. God, we pray that in a world and in a culture that misunderstands this, that we would be helped by Your Word to understand what You have built and designed men to do. And You'd give us the grace to do it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, where we'll go in just a minute. Everyone has a worldview One author says that worldviews are like belly buttons. Everyone has them, but no one really talks about them. We all have lenses through which we interpret life around us. We all have philosophical views of the world, a perspective on why everything exists and why anything matters. Our worldview determines how we answer very significant questions like, is there a God? and where did we come from, and what is truth, and what is the meaning of life, and a surprisingly controversial question today, what is a man, and what is a woman? Well, as Christians, our world view is built on the Word of God. We believe that the Bible is God's Word, and so Our perspective on life, our answer to all those important questions, our worldview is built on this Word from God. That's why we read it. That's why we want to understand it, and then we interpret life through it. We must read it. We must understand it to answer those significant questions that I just rattled off. And so we come to God's word in a time like this, and and we say, God, tell us. God, tell us what is a godly man? I don't care what Hollywood thinks. I don't care what political commentators think I don't care what the secular university thinks I don't care ultimately what anybody thinks but you God so here is a statement derived from God's word which answers the question what is a godly man Here's what it is, and then through this sermon, we'll open God's word to see the truth of this statement unfolded. What is a godly man? Here's the statement. All men have been created by God in His image to humbly and lovingly lead in a God-glorifying direction by happily assuming sacrificial responsibility. So a godly man is a man who humbly and lovingly leads in a God-glorifying direction by happily assuming sacrificial responsibility. That's what, when we take God's Word, we find a godly man to be. So think of words. That's a statement, but when you think of a godly man, think of words like initiative, and responsibility, and sacrifice. A godly man takes initiative. A godly man takes responsibility. A godly man sacrifices. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1. Let's go to the beginning. And in Genesis chapter 1, look at verse 26 and 27. Verse 26 and 27 of Genesis chapter 1 say, Then God said, Let us make men stop. Men, we have been made by God. We've been made by God. You did not evolve, you were created. You did not come from apes, you came from dirt. Look at the end of the next verse, verse 27. He created him. Male and female, He created them. So God made a man and God made a woman and He has been making them ever since. According to Psalm 139.13, God, men, He formed your inward parts. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. So everyone here today, God has made you either a man or a woman. And my assumption is that each of you know which one you are. He has made it anatomically obvious. You know whether or not God has made you a man or a woman. And we have to say this now today. We have to say this, God has made you a man or a woman. Regardless of how you feel. Regardless of what others have told you, regardless of what you want and regardless of what comes natural, and that is who you are. He's made you. God has not made a mistake. Your gender is not up for grabs. You have no right before God, as Paul says in Romans 9, 20, to answer back to God, to say to God, why have you made me like this? That verse applies to any complaint you may have about the body or soul that God has given you. And we have no right to answer back to God and say, why have you made me like this? Okay, so Genesis chapter one, verse twenty six establishes the first part of our statement this morning. All men have been created by God, but let's keep reading. There's there's more here. So then God said, let us make man. And here it is in our image After our likeness, skip down to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Three times in just those two verses, we're told men, not only did God make you. Not only did God make you, God made you in his image, men, You are an image bearer of God. You are an image bearer of God. We're told in these chapters that God made a lot before he made man. Made oceans and zebras and redwood trees and beetles. And then he made man. When God made man, God did something very different. Very different than anything else that he had created. God, God looked to himself. He looked to himself, and God made man like himself. The word image means replica. Later in Genesis chapter five, verse one, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Which means, think about this, while all of God's creation is amazing, mankind is the pinnacle of God's creation. We might. And should stand in awe of God when you go to Yosemite. We might stand in awe of God when we see a sunset later this afternoon. But that is nothing compared to the awe you should experience in a human biology class. When you begin to understand just what God did when He created man so differently than anything else He created. We're created in the image of God. The body and soul of every human being bears the image of God. Which, by the way, is our image is the Christian's fundamental basis for human dignity and human equality. That's my basis for it. That every man, every woman was created in the image of God. Hebrews 2.5 remarks that God has made human beings a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. It's a big deal. So what did Thomas Jefferson say in the opening line of the Declaration of Independence? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable Rights created by the creator. That's the foundation. And if you take that away, there is no more foundation. Now, don't miss that according to Genesis 1:26 and 27, it is not only men that are created in the image of God. Women as well are created in the image of God. Men and women, as Galatians 3.28 teaches, are equals. Men and women are equal in worth, are equal in dignity, are equal in value. But, that said, and, and here is a clashing point with popular opinion today. Here's the clashing point. Equality does not equal sameness. Equality does not for example, mean that men can and should do everything a woman can do and women can and should do everything a man can do. You'll start to feel why this is controversial the more I explain this. Men and women, though created equal, we are created distinct. So, while at one level there is no distinction, We are all image bearers of God. There's no, there's essential equality there. There's ontological equality there. Yet at another level, there is a distinction between men and women so significant that it then determines role and function in the church and home. It's for a reason. They were created distinct by God. And therefore God is most glorified when men and women understand their uniqueness and function accordingly. So please listen. This is not saying that men are superior to women. This is not saying that women are superior to men. But men are superior to women at being men. And women are superior to men at being women. So let's move on in our statement. Let's move on to this distinction now. This distinct purpose of man. Men, you have been created by God in His image to To do what? What am I, as a man, distinctly, not just as a human being, but now specifically, as a man, what am I here to do, God? And we said, to humbly and lovingly lead in a God-glorifying direction. So let's move on to Genesis chapter 2 now. Where we have the specific description of the creation of man. And let's look and see. Is man called to lead? Let's see. Is man given authority here? Is he given a leadership role here? Let's read it together. Genesis chapter 2 beginning in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man. Let's pause. So Eve is not yet created, right? Eve is not yet created. The the first woman is not yet created. This is man. Clearly. Under God's authority, but now he is under God's authority, being given authority by God. Adam is given the orders here. Adam is commanded by God. He is to what? He's to work the garden, so he's a gardener. He is to keep the garden, so he's a guardian. And he's called by God to enjoy and to obey. So he's given a leadership role before anything is added unto him. And soon that will be a wife. So the Lord God commanded the man, let's keep reading, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. That's joy. But here's the call to obedience of the tree of The knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God is saying, don't forget who's God, Adam. You're still under a law. Verse 19. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. The naming of the animals is another demonstration of authority that has been given to Adam. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. OK, what did we see? What do we see in these verses of Genesis chapter two? The man was created first. That is significant. That is significant. And both Jesus and Paul in the New Testament will make a point of going back to this very text to point this out. He was then, the man was in the garden. He was there before the creation of his helper. And he was given there authority to lead. The man then names the animals. The first woman was then created from the man. And she was created for the man. And after she was created, she was presented by God to the man. God walks her down the aisle. And presents her to Adam. The man then named the woman. None of that is insignificant. Men, beginning with Adam. You have been built And called to lead. You have been given a leadership role. If you will keep reading your Bible from Genesis on, you will find that confirmed over and over and over again. You will find it described over and over again. And you will find it prescribed over and over again. So our statement again, all men have been created by God in His image to humbly and lovingly lead in a God-glorifying direction. So men, young men, you should look to lead. You should look around you to lead your friends, your wife, your children, and how should you lead. That's very important. Because leadership sounds much more attractive before you move on to how you're supposed to lead. You, you know every little boy and every little girl you've seen. They want to lead. What is the greatest thing you could ever say to a little boy who's playing with other children before you leave the room? What's the greatest thing you could ever say to that little boy? While I'm gone, you're in charge. His face will light up. He'll probably become a Christian right then and there. It's like an altar call. Amen. I knew you would see this, Dad, sooner or later. Buckle up, kids. Men are the same way. Authority? I like where this is going. Leadership? I like where this is going. Are you going to get to Ephesians 5.22 where it says, Submit to me? That's my favorite verse in the Bible. So the leadership. The the authority that, that, that will resonate with many of you men. But what is the attitude of your leadership to be? What is the goal of your leadership to be? Your leadership has an attitude and it must be humble and loving. Your leadership has a direction, a trajectory, and it must be the glory of God to humbly and lovingly lead in a God-glorifying direction. To God is where we want to go. What did Joshua say in chapter 24, verse 15? As for me and my family, we will do whatever I say we're going to do. As for me and my family, we will do whatever the heck I want to do. He says, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. That's where he's leading. So men must not lead proudly or selfishly. Men must not lead where you want to go, but where God wants to go. So men must lead. And here we finish our statement on what it means to be a godly man. Men must lead by happily assuming sacrificial responsibility. So here's the entire statement one last time. As we seek to understand godly manhood. All men... Have been created by God in His image to humbly and lovingly lead in a God glorifying direction by happily assuming sacrificial responsibility. Let's break that down. Happily. Happily. This is not a have to. It's a get to. This kind of leadership should not be duty driven. It should be delight driven. It should be a joy. It should be your pleasure. It should be something that you happily assume. What are you happily assuming? Men must take responsibility. No finger pointing, no blaming, no excuses, but responsibility. Taking responsibility does not mean that everything is your fault. But it does mean that you are committed to doing something about it. Happily, I've said this many times in marriage counseling, and I was counseled to say this years ago, and I've, I've said it many times since. And. That is often if I'm sitting down with a husband and a wife that are having struggles, that are having issues, that are having a difficult time, and often I have no idea yet what those issues are. I don't know what any of the issues are, but I might at the very beginning, before I know any of the issues, I might look and have looked many times directly at the husband and said, I want you to know something. I am holding you fully, 100% responsible for everything that's going on in your home. And I'm not saying that everything that's going on in your home is necessarily your fault. But it's all your responsibility. And you've got to do something about it. You see this in the very next chapter of Genesis. Adam is told to lead. What happens in Genesis chapter 3? He does not lead. You know the story, you know the fall. He sins. The fall is actually an occasion of role reversal within the marriage. You find that Eve is stepping out and she's dialoguing with Satan, with the dragon, and then she's eating the fruit that God told them not to eat. And where's Adam? Do you remember where Adam is? He's standing right there holding her purse while she just converses with satan and is lied to and he doesn't step in he doesn't protect her he doesn't provide for her he leaves her out, he hangs her out to dry lets her go first and then he follows her and then in genesis chapter 3 verse 9 who does god hold primarily responsible you might expect that he would go to eve Because she sinned first. She did. But when God comes to the garden, chapter 3, verse 9, He goes straight to the man. Why? Because it was His responsibility. God commanded Him. God gave Him a job to do. And He failed. Incidentally, how did then Adam respond? He still didn't take responsibility. Do you remember what he did? He blamed. He blamed. It wasn't my fault. It was the woman. It was her. It's worse than that. Do you remember what he said? It was the woman you gave me. So who did he just blame? He blames God. He blames God. God gave him the woman. Calvinists are the worst at this. They're the worst at this because Calvinists believe that every circumstance is ultimately from the hand of God. So any time a Calvinist blames anything on anything, he is ultimately pointing the finger at God. Adam's given a responsibility. Men are given a responsibility. And at the end of the day, what will men do about it? Will they be passive and look the other way? Will they do just enough to get by? Or will they take responsibility? I've known so many children that grew up without a father, and often he was in the home. He was there every night, but he was preoccupied. He had other goals. He had other agendas. And it didn't entail humbly and lovingly leading his family in a God glorifying direction by happily assuming responsibility. Finally, what kind of responsibility did we say? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. That means that a godly man will give himself up for those he loves. Oswald Sanders said, true greatness, true leadership, is achieved not by reducing others to one's service, but in giving oneself in selfless service to them. Jesus came and was the ultimate example of this. Mark 10, 43 through 45. Jesus, who is God, came not to be served, but to serve and to what? Give himself up, to give his life as a ransom for many. Men are called to leading through sacrificial responsibility. Men here today, are you prepared to sacrifice? Are you giving yourself up for those you love? Are you willing to sacrifice? The call to be a godly man is a call to die. The call to be a godly man is a call to die. We could summarize and answer this question this way. God, what is a godly man? A godly man is a man who is prepared to be daily spent for and die for those he loves. That's what he's prepared to do. I'm here for Others. This is not about me. This is about God and about others, and especially the others whom God has brought close. And I am here to be spent for them, and I am here to die for them a godly man is prepared to put himself between those whom he loves and harm. Man, I hope if you're laying in your beds tonight and you hear a loud crash, you do not elbow your wife. You all know that's not manly. That is not right. I mean, even you should be, if you're not, right? Your position in the bed should be between your wife and and harm. You don't have to do that, but I'm just saying. And if you hear something tonight, aren't you going to get up? If you're out today and you're with someone you love and harm is coming their way, aren't you going to have an instinct you should to stand between them and harm? Okay, what about spiritually? What about emotionally? Do men stand between those whom they love and harm? A godly man will know the dangers, not just physical, but spiritual, that threaten those whom he loves, and he will stand between them and harm. He's willing to give himself up. Remember one of the things that Adam was in the garden was a guardian. And God adds to his garden. But the responsibility remains. So in conclusion, I would encourage all the men and all the young men in this room to go back with me to those three words We said at the beginning, use throughout this statement and evaluate yourself. First, men, are you taking initiative? Are you taking initiative? How do you need to courageously step out and do what God is calling you to do? Where do you need to initiate What do you need to initiate? Are you taking, secondly, responsibility? Are you taking responsibility? What has God given you to give yourself up for? What has God given you to give yourself up for? What do you need to take responsibility for? And number three, are you sacrificing? Are you taking initiative? Are you taking responsibility? Are you sacrificing? Ask yourself how can I put aside my own desires for the good of those I'm called to love? How can I do that? How do I need to sacrifice? Men, are you being passive? Are you blaming others and making excuses? Are you being selfish? Are you giving yourself up? Are you being spent for God and others? I'm assuming that many of you men are not happy with some of the answers that you're coming up with in response to those questions. Which is a good thing. Conviction is a wonderful thing. If you're hearing described in the Bible what God expects of you, and you're realizing as you hear that, and as you you take your own life and your own words and your own behaviors and your own thoughts and your own decisions, and you hold it up against this picture of a godly man in Scripture, if you, if you do that and you're feeling convicted about abdicating responsibility, about passively ignoring things that God has called you to do, about being selfish in your life, that is a good thing to recognize if that is not the man that you have been. Because there is hope for you. For all of us men in this room. There is hope. all men are offered forgiveness and grace to be the man that God has called them to be. Every one of you is offered that which means that this would be a great time and a great week for some of you men to apologize to those you love. We're going to get much deeper in weeks to come. We're going to get a lot more thorough biblically in weeks to come. But some of you men are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit Right now, as you consider what it means to be a godly man. If that is the case, today is a great day, and this is a great week to formally apologize to those you love. To say sorry, which means to express sorriness, to express sorrow over how you've led or not led those you love. To ask forgiveness from those you have sinned against, either by what you've done or by what you haven't done. And this would also be a great day and a great week to then commit yourself to godly manhood. Where you say, thank you God for your word and thank you for your conviction. This needs to change. God, give me the grace to change and you get to work. Mark 2.17 Thankfully, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician. He was saying that sarcastically, of course, because no one's well. But there were a lot of people who thought they were well. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but... Sinners. Man, God's grace meets you where you are today, not where you should be. So First Corinthians sixteen, thirteen and fourteen, in conclusion again. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for giving us your truth and giving it to us through preaching that awakens us to what might need to change that often stirs our heart and convicts us of our sin. God, I pray that there would be a renewed commitment amongst the the men who are here today, the men in this church to to be godly men. To give themselves up for others. To with humility and love to lead. To assume responsibility to sacrifice themselves, to put themselves between those whom they love and harm. And God, give us the grace to do this, to be strong and courageous, and to remember that you are always with us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.